Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 97. My name is Arvid, and joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com, it's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. I mean, this is normally where I ask you, you know, how, how you've been um, this past week has been. <laughs> it probably eliminates the need to answer that question. Yeah, that's one of the craziest weeks I've ever lived through, and I have no idea what next week or the week after I'll be like. Just a yeah. whole hell of a lot of shit hitting the fan. So I guess we should start with the hockey news first, which is that, that the NHL has suspended its season for the time being. Uh, no games are ongoing. The last one that the Leafs played was on Tuesday night, and they beat the Bolts. That was nice. We were all so much younger then. But now we don't know what's going to happen. Right now, Toronto is in a playoff spot, however you choose to measure it, points, percentage, points, whatever. And so in the event that the league does resume a couple months down the road, that's good, depending on what they do to adjust the season, if they do get around to playing again this year, which who knows. Yeah, a lot is up in the air. So, I mean, yeah, I guess we're giving you a quick update now, but aside from that, there isn't that much hockey to discuss. We're, we're, we're going to kind of just answer some, some reader questions, some listener questions, I suppose. Um, but yeah, on the, on the hockey side, it's just, it's an odd scenario, right? And European leagues have been completely canceled. I believe the SHL has just said, yeah, we are not finishing this year, right? Um, I imagine a lot of the other European leagues are going to follow suit if they haven't already. And even though Gary Bettman has said, you know, we hope to award the Stanley Cup this year, even if it's like later or whatever. And there's been reports that the NHL has been asking for arena availability into like July or whatever. I mean, even then it's, there's a very real scenario in which this pandemic becomes a lot worse before it becomes better. Yeah, we're kind of teetering on the edge here. We've all heard the horror stories out of Italy and how things have gone over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, our hope is that in Canada it can be managed to head that off more efficiently. Yeah, so, we have a lot of, I guess, yeah. structural advantages that a place like Italy or any place in the EU doesn't. We only have one border, effectively, mm-hmm. which we share with um, the USA. The USA has their own set of problems right now. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But in general, Canada is an easier country to manage than, um, than many others. And thus far, I think they've done an all right job based on the numbers but of course you know you can't get cocky a lot can change very 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 fast and i guess neither of us are epidemiologists or public health experts um so when it comes to this and you know these sorts of serious situations serious global situations i think the best thing we can do is listen to those who are epidemiologists listen to those who are public health experts and trust them right and that's why it is very important that you know everyone socially distanced to the extent possible it is very important that you take all the precautions that you can reasonably take in order to um you know help slow the spread of this virus because a lot of people realistically won't be able to take those precautions mm-hmm. whether it's for financial reasons or just constraints their, their work doesn't let them work from home whatever um so if you have you know the capability and it's within your your grasp to avoid social contact with other people and every aspect of your life. I think it's our responsibility as humans to do it. This is what it means to live in a society where we have to look out for one another. Exactly. Uh, Lucky for us, the podcast does not require us to be in the same room. And so we are not violating any social distancing rules by recording this pod. So for one of other things to do, we asked for reader questions, listener questions, excuse me. And 
now we're just going to cruise through them. I have no idea what's going to happen next week in terms of the pod or on an ongoing basis. We probably won't have a lot to talk about until this is resolved. But yeah, I mean, we'll at see. the same time, at the same time, I mean, given that a lot of people are going to have a lot more free time on their own, um, it might be good for us to continue recording just so, I don't know, if we can make it, if we can make one hour pass by a little bit quicker. Because the thing is, socially distancing is very important, but it's also incredibly boring. Yeah, it is. We are social creatures at nature, right? Yeah. So, um, All right, well, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we don't know what we're going to do, but thanks for tuning in. So our first question is from friend of the pod, Kevin. That's at NTRider825 on Twitter. Uh, Kevin is a Sabres fan, but we forgive him for that. He's a good guy and he's suffered enough, frankly. And so he said, please fix the Sabres and do it in five minutes. Uh, why didn't you ask us something easy like curing cancer, the coronavirus? Um, <laughs> the Sabres are in a hard state to fix. Hard to come back from that. Uh... You were saying this before we cut, but they just need more talent, you know? Yeah, yeah. You you look at their cap-friendly page, for example, and mm-hmm. they actually have a, a decent chance to completely like, kind of retool this offseason because the only forwards they have under contract are Eichel, Skinner, Okpozo, and Johansson. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is an RFA or UFA, right? So there's a real chance like, like to rebuild that forward core. The problem is, you know, replacing nine forwards in a year is not easy, right? No. People like to say, oh, you can get you can get stars and then just fill in the rest with, like, cheap guys. But, like, that churn is difficult because there's... It's not you can go to a store and guarantee, oh, we have to, we're going to get three middle six players, three bottom six players, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. There's actual con- supply constraints that you have to deal with. So it's a little bit tricky for them. Yeah. And the Sabres have struggled with depth. Like, their whole yes, problem exactly. is depth scoring. And then on defense, I mean, they, they're still paying bad defensemen too much money. Like, Rasmus Ristolainen is their highest paid defenseman, mm-hmm. right? Making 5.4 mil for two more years after this one. That's still not good. At, mm-hmm. That they haven't cut bait on him already is a bit of a failure, I suppose. If I was running that team, he would have been, like, probably trading him as my first move. Oh, yeah, like, immediately. And I do really wonder where the market is at on Ristolainen right now, because... Yeah, I mean, realistically, they've, they've sold too late on him, if they do sell at all. Yeah, you'd think so. Now, he's the kind of guy that's been overrated, like, pretty much forever. And in some corners of hockey thought, he's still valued because he puts up points on the power play, where he can, and he's big, and he looks like a defenseman. Uh, the idea of him is that he's going to be a 1D. But realistically, we've shown that he can't do that. So, Yeah, exactly. Um, so beyond that, maybe Colin Miller is someone worth discussing because we talked about him in the offseason and we kind of praised the Buffalo move for him, mm-hmm. saying you know, he could probably step up into a second-pairing role. And he was one of those guys who put up absurd results in sheltered, um, lower end minutes mm-hmm. and how that hasn't necessarily translated to him at at higher levels now the thing is people are, are tending to say like oh you know he he's just another one of those guys who can't make it up into higher parts of the lineup but when you look at his competition this year versus last year it's actually not 
incredibly different. Mm -hmm. It certainly doesn't explain why he's got so much worse. It just looks like he's had a bad year after having a couple good years. Right? So I I will confess, I don't watch that many Buffalo Sabres games because, Jesus, I already watched the Leafs. Like, what more do you want out of me? (laughs) (laughs) We've suffered enough. It's amazing that, yeah, it's amazing that, like, so the Leafs have, like, not been successful over the past, you know, 10 years. Almost any time span, but, like, Let's say since 2005, the Leafs have not been successful. Um, the Sabres, aside from that kind of jury briere era, have, they might be one of the only teams that's unequivocally been worse over that time period. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Like, they've just been kind of stuck in the mud. And Jack Eichel is good. Like, yes. he's a great player. He's, he's amazing. He's, the thing is, Eichel's lived up to the hype, right? Eichel, I, you know, I genuinely believe, mm-hmm. so maybe it's because he always kills the Leafs, but, like, Eichel on a better team would get the same publicity as Nathan McKinnon. 100%. Yeah. I mean, and he's doing everything he can to carry this team. It's just, and we've talked about this before, when the Sabres burnt down to get either him or Connor McDavid, they burnt down pretty much everything. Like, there was very little in the way of talent left on that team when all was said and done, so they had to build everything back. And we've seen a lot of tank jobs but they don't usually go that thoroughly into gutting the entire roster. The Leafs certainly didn't. And I remember you had an article about this and basically said the Leafs have come back faster than the Sabres have from their depths because the Leafs didn't burn the whole thing down. They had a lot of residual talent in JVR, Kadri, Gardner, and so on. Exactly. The other thing is with, um, with with the Sabres, they have a couple bad forward contracts like Kyle Ocoso you know mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're one of the teams that's contributed to John Tavares' line mates making a lot of money mm-hmm. they also they also had Matt Molson didn't they for some time they did yeah is he still I don't think he's on their um, I think his contract expired or maybe was bought out or something but I don't think he's there anymore yeah he was in um, the AHL for an extended period so, yeah yeah and I mean, you'd think they would have learned the lesson. <laughs> ah, but they did not. Yeah, yeah I, the, I mean, the, Jason the Bottle Jeff was Skinner well deal. thought of, too. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, the Jeff Skinner deal. So we talked about this in the offseason. We said this is an overpay, but Skinner is a good player. The thing is, Skinner has had a severe down year. Part of that is um, I think he's played less with Eichel, although you know, when you're paying a guy $9 million, you don't want to have to be like, okay, well, this guy has to play with our $10 million superstar center. Mm-hmm. But... Um, he's also just had, I think, a lower shooting percentage than he typically has and, and things like that. He, he has 23 points this year. That's gruesome. For a player of his salary level, that's awful. And, you know, again, it's such a thin lineup. You know, they have Eichel, Skinner, uh, Sam Reinhardt, who is good. And yes. then... Sam Johan- Reinhardt is their William Nylander. Yeah, yeah. Actually, Kevin, who asked us the question, has made that comparison before. And it stands out the more you think about it. He's kind of underappreciated in some corners of that fan base is the impression I get. Yeah, it looks better when you look at advanced stats. Mm-hmm. Um, criticized often for what he isn't as opposed to what he is. Yeah. And, you know, he was uh, second overall pick the year that he went, right? Yeah. In, uh, uh, either second or third. No, he would have been second, yeah, because yeah, Dreisaitl went third. Yeah. So, and, you know, we said at some point the Sabres have to keep talent. This is cycling back around to Jeff Skinner. And... You know, they have to keep Sam Reinhardt, I think. It's just, 
they haven't gotten anything out of the period where these guys were underpaid. And neither did the Leafs, to be clear. I mean, we got playoff appearances and no wins. But now they're going to be squeezed because the nightmare scenario for the Sabres is Eichel is too good for you to fully tank again. And so you end up picking, you know, 8th to 12th a lot of years in a row. And you don't get guys who are locked in to be impact players. Yeah, and they have you also, scuffle. The other... So we talked about kind of comparing their, re, their rebuild to the Leafs. Um, and obviously one part where they did fall behind is the total burn down, right? The Leafs kind of got lucky in that they were, as far as last place teams go, quite good. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is they haven't hit on their top 10 picks. The Leafs basically hit home runs on all their top 10 picks, mm-hmm. right? Like the, the least successful Leafs first round draft pick in the past few years is Freddie Gauthier, who we picked 24th or something. Yeah. Right. But far. like, other than that, you know, Luke Shen wasn't a good pick, but we traded him for JPR, who was, you know, obviously excellent. You get Riley, you get Kadri, you get the big three, mm-hmm. right? And Nylander at eight is probably the most kind of found money of all of that, because at eight, you know, you can't necessarily expect a first-line player, but we got one, mm-hmm. right? Um, Sandine looks like he's, he's going to be quite good as well. So, yeah, there's, doing that is, is very good. So, I mean, I feel like this isn't necessarily a great plan to fix the Sabres, because it's just, okay, it's kind of the obvious stuff. Hit your picks, Right? Yeah. Hit your picks. Stop <laughs> overpaying. Stop making bad overpays for like over the hill people. Like the Osposo contract, I don't think was good at the time. And then he's also had injury issues, which have made it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like them getting Marcus Johansson. I wonder how much of this is like coaching as well. I think I like Tom Rennie as a, seems like a pretty smart guy. Um, interesting path, career path as far as hockey men go. Uh, you mean Ralph Kruger? Sorry, Ralph Kruger, not yeah. Tom Rennie. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. Um, why was I thinking Tom Rennie? I mean, did he coach in Europe for a period? That might know. be it. Yeah. Also, you, all old white men. They, they're all blurring together. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. Ralph Kruger. Yes, he, he's had an interesting path. But yeah, it's just... I don't... There's just not a lot there, right? It, it, it's weird. Cause like, they don't have quite enough top-end talent to be a top-heavy team. Mm-hmm. Or at least like a successful top-heavy team. And they don't have enough depth to be a role for Lions team. And then the, the defense core is just bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. Rasmus Dahlin is, is very good, but he's, he's 19. He's not, you know, he's not the best defenseman in the world yet. He might get there at some point. And everyone else is just kind of eh. So it's, it's really just they have to start identifying better players and acquiring them. It, it's really that simple. Yeah. I, I mean, I look at this and I see a lineup that has very minimal forward depth. And then... Not really anyone I'd consider a top three defenseman. You know, it's just kind of a rough ride over there. Brandon Montour has been a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't looked into Darlene's numbers this year. I don't know whether he's like a, a second pairing guy at this point yet or, or anything. But, I mean, you certainly hope he's considered a campus prospect. I, I imagine he gets there. Yeah, he had some rough numbers early in the year. I do recall. I haven't looked lately, but it was a bit bumpy. I do think that it is sometimes hard to learn to play NHL caliber defense at that age you know just the game is coming yeah. at you very quick and I think maybe part of it is like the shine has come off him because of what Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr have done mm-hmm. right they're now like the, the the hot shot young defenseman on, on the block yeah and you know both of them were high picks it's just you know Dalian went first overall so that has a and Dalian was like a 
obvious first overall, where it, it was it was the Darlene draft. Yeah, like there was no question he was going to go. So, yeah, uh, I don't think that we've done actually very much good in trying to figure out how to solve <laughs> the Buffalo Sabres. No, it, like uh, it's it's really the thing is there's low hanging fruit there, mm-hmm. right? Like quite simply, just start start uh, acquiring low-level free agents who are actually, like, decent, and that gets you a decent way because they're just much better than the replacement-level guys you're dealing with otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, yeah, w- when you have high picks, you really need to hit on them. That's the most important thing when you're a bad team. You need to hit on those high picks, and then that's just being smarter scouting. Neither of us are scouts, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard for us to really offer much advice there. And Yeah, trade risk to line in. Yeah, get out from under that as fast as you can. I think, realistically... Buffalo is in a great space to be mediocre, just like we were talking about before. Because, yeah, like you just need to have to do a lot to build around him. I guess if you want, you know, to take the optimistic view, it's like, okay, well, the hardest thing to get is a player like Eigel or a player like Delian could be. And so they have those. They just don't have anything else. And yeah. And, and I mean, the Skinner deal, we didn't love the Skinner deal at the time, but we thought it was understandable. Mm-hmm. The way he's performed this year has not been good and he's always been you know when you when you're a guy who relies who you know a huge portion of his value is shooting talent mm-hmm. year to year that can be a bit lumpy right it can be a bit unpredictable yeah so like the the variance of jeff skinner's good years and bad years you know are, are, are higher but skinner is still like a, a good play driver and i think a part of it he's also just not getting as much ice time he's like playing second third nine minutes right now as opposed to last year when he was like stapled to that top line and it was, it was pretty good yeah which is very fascinating to me i know you know it's the same as the, what used to be the mcdavid and uh Dreisaitl problem which is if you don't have a lot of talent you have a choice between being super top heavy or trying for some semblance of depth and that decision goes different ways um yeah it's it's a rough situation it's kind of like you gotta get some surrounding talent somewhere and I appreciate they've been trying to do that. You know, we said Johansson looked like a good pickup. He hasn't had a great year, but then most of the team hasn't. I, I wonder at what point, like, I know they just hired Kruger. Mm-hmm. I almost said Rennie again. Um, <laughs> you know, I know they just hired Kruger. But, yeah, it doesn't seem like it's it's working great there. I, I do give him more time. I don't know. Or I don't watch them enough to know if there's, like, kind of failures of coaching. He's not considered to be the greatest X's and O's guys. And I've heard some people suggest that it's time to kick him upstairs into the Brendan Shanahan role. Where he's the president. You know, I think he did that with uh, Northampton, right? Southampton. Southampton. Well, one of the Hamptons. I don't know. And so, yeah. And so he's probably well suited to be that kind of overseeing thing. He's a very well-read. He's a smart guy. He probably has broader experience than some of the the conventional Canadian hockey coaches who are, you know, hockey lifers. But maybe he's better at a higher level. And also, you know, I think Jason Botterill is probably on the way out of that job. He should be. Yeah. yeah. It's it's time. He's had a longer run. And it does put Kruger in a bit of a weird spot if Botterill is fired and then the new GM comes in because you're always on borrowed time. Botterill was, um, he used to be in Pittsburgh, right? Was he considered mm-hmm. like... He was Rutherford's? considered a whisk kid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rutherford's right hand. Well, that hasn't worked out great. No, not really. Um, the Yoki Haru trade over the summer for Alex Newland 
excuse me, Alex Nylander. I thought that was a good deal for Buffalo. So did I. Yeah, and so it's not like he hasn't done anything that is worthwhile. He's tried. And I do think that he had a really tough job, probably tougher than maybe is immediately apparent just because of how thin that team still was. But, yeah, and yeah. it's also like, realistically, Buffalo's not a free agent destination. Not a huge one. Right, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just always a little bit tricky there um, to acquire... To continue to acquire talent, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's not it's not easy to do that, especially like over. As we said, like turning over a lot of people on a yearly basis, it's not easy to do that and continue to always get like good players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So uh, that's our best sort of despairing effort at fixing the Buffalo Sabers. Um, it basically comes down to just like be smarter at like the basic yeah. things. Do your job better than you have been heretofore. Yeah, I feel like it's not that... I mean, that's that's the thing. Like Fixing X team is always a little bit tricky. Because well, in some cases, it's like, okay, this team should just rebuild. Yeah. Right? And then like th- th- when you say, okay, just rebuild, that sorts your next three years. Mm-hmm. Right? You just sell off assets um, and acquire picks and take flyers on young players. Mm-hmm. The Sabres are a bit different because like, you don't want to throw away three more years of Jack Eichel's contract. So you want to do like a quick retool, ideally, which is which is possible, mm-hmm. right? And actually, they they have a decent goalie tandem, I think. I haven't looked up their numbers this year, so maybe this is like hopelessly stupid, but I think Hutton and Allmark are pretty decent. Yeah, uh, Hutton's numbers this year don't look too too sharp, and mm-hmm. I know, but they have uh, Lekkonen as a goalie prospect who's pretty well thought of, and yeah, and Allmark has done okay. Yeah, so, so it's yeah. like. And, and it's cheap as well. Yeah. Which They're paying is, which 4 is for goalies this year, and Allmark's an RFA, so he's probably not getting a huge raise on that next year. Um, their goaltending is going to be like, prob- you, you can see it being around league average and pretty cheap. It, it's the rest of their lineup that's like a bit of a disaster. Yeah, and that's tough. It's tough when, you know, I've seen what he was trying to do on a lot of these transactions. Um, the Ryan O'Reilly one we've talked about was just breathtakingly bad. But some of the other moves, you know, I got it. I thought Brandon Montour would be better than he has been, for example. Yeah. So, yeah, a, a tough situation all around. While we're here, also, two yeah. things I want to point out. Um, trading for Wayne Simmons just didn't make any sense. That was purely like, we want a guy who's good in the room sort of move. And that's fine. I don't know what Wayne Simmons' next contract is going to be. It's possible the market is kind of wise to the decline in his play now. But I'm not sure I want to be the one signing it. Let's put it that way. Especially not if you're in the position of Buffalo. Yeah, it's... I mean, maybe the one thing we could say is, like, when it became clear that this team wasn't doing well this year, like, maybe then you just go full-scale tank, right? I do wonder, you know... Kind of half-pregnant stuff. Yeah, but, like, the the thing is, the Sabres have been in the depths for so long now. The fan base is super... Yeah, yeah, they've had enough. Jaded, was... understandably. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, um, and this is more about the ownership. So, I believe the, the Pegula family mm-hmm. owns the Sabers, and they're generally regarded as decent owners in the sense that, like, they're clearly willing to spend money. Mm-hmm. They haven't necessarily spent it smartly, um, but they are willing to spend money. I believe they are one of the teams that owns their own building, but is has not committed to paying 
the workers who are going to lose out on money um, because of the NHL suspending a season. Mm-hmm. And I, we just want to remark here, that is bullshit. Yeah, come on. This is going to be a tough time for a lot of people, and even less than usual am I sympathetic to rich people making it tougher. Yes, exactly. And, I mean, so people have made like these lists of, oh, these, these are the teams that are you know, helping their workers out, these are the teams that aren't, and those lists are often flawed in the sense that not every team owns its arena, which means they are not necessarily the ones paying those workers. The arena management company probably contracts that out. Um, I'm relatively sure that's not the case here. I've seen the Sabres fans in my timeline discuss this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I hope I'm not mis- mistaken here. Um, but yeah, like in general, for, for the owners that are typically the ones signing the checks for the workers who are going to miss out on paychecks because of the initial cancellation, like, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty awful if they're not supporting them in, in some way, especially in times like these. Yeah, absolutely. So... For our next one, this is from... Jeez, that was 20 minutes on one question. Yeah, this rate we're going to do like a 17-hour podcast. Uh, from Shadow Blades 337 moving away from hockey, since there's only so much that can be said at this point, what are some upcoming movies or video games that you are interested in? What obscure activity will you now pursue to fill the void left by all major sports being suspended for the time being? Um, uh, I don't play video games, so I don't have a good answer for that in terms of movies are there any movies i'm looking forward to the thing is is that so sorry go so ahead. i just got netflix like recently mm. which I, I know i'm like you know <laughs> four and a half years late on this well i i got it and then mm. i'm like oh wow this is pretty good yeah why didn't anyone mention this before <laughs> it would have come up yeah um so I have that and I have Disney Plus, so I'm looking forward to, I guess, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I guess is not a movie, it's like a miniseries, right? Mm-hmm. That's on Disney Plus. Um, and I'm looking forward to some of like the Mar- Marvel Cinematic Universe like extended shows, like Doctor Strange 2, I think will be cool. If, that mm-hmm. can, if that's like a true horror movie, that would be kind of neat. Um, WandaVision, stuff like that, but that's like kind of, I'm not a movie buff by any means, so. Yeah, I'm not the greatest on movies. I play video games a little bit, not so much in my elder age as I used to uh, trying to read a lot I also like I write in my spare time not just about hockey so one of these days I'm gonna finish a draft of something maybe it'll be this year but it hasn't been any prior year that I finished something so we'll see yeah in terms uh, of I guess esoteric hobbies that we now have to get into yeah uh, I'm not sure I, I've been honestly like at a loss at what to do without sports mm-hmm. literally all the sports I follow have been cancelled yeah which is hard because I follow almost all of them. Um, so I, I'm just I'm like just refreshing different web pages and nothing's changed. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's instinctive because you know I do I read the Athletic, I read the Ringer and stuff like that. So I do, you know, have a certain amount of sports writing that normally comes to me. And of course now there's a hell of a lot less of it, you know. So yeah, I'm probably gonna try and read other stuff and then write other stuff, and. Uh, in my spare time being isolated. In terms of movies coming out, I was excited for the new Christopher Nolan one, but that would have made theaters in the summer, and I don't even know where we're going to be at by then. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I, I will say, I should get, over this the course of this, like, pandemic, I should hopefully get, like, much better at cooking. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, because, you know, 
Like I, I can cook the basics. I can cook enough that like, you know, you, you leave, I, I get a pantry of food and I won't, I won't die. Like, mm-hmm. or, and you won't see me like eating like pasta out of the box, like without yeah. boiling it or something like a, it's not that bad. But yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a great cook by any means. So hopefully I'll get better at that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a good time to try and work on some of those skills, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what we'll try and do. You can clearly tell we're both like kind of bereft without hockey. <laughs> yeah, like it's a it's a strange thing for us. So um, this is from Marianne Kirby, who's a writer on Twitter. The best melancholy '90s albums to listen to since there is no hockey to watch. I was born for this question. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, OK Computer by Radiohead is a classic. The Moon and, and Antarctica by Modest Mouse. Those are two of my favorites. But since this is a specific 90s question, and we only have so much time, I want to go to bat and tell the kids of today about trip-hop and how cool trip-hop was back in the day. So listen to, like, Portishead or Massive Attack, especially if you find you have to wander out to the grocery store at 4 a.m. Mezzanine by Massive Attack is the ultimate around-the-city-at-night music. Uh, Marianne knows this because she's hip to trip hop, but I'm trying to spread the good word. And this is my total, how do you do fellow kids moment? Because everyone younger than me will be like, oh, that's lame. But that was my (laughs) answer. Unfortunately, I can't really, um, I can't really satisfy the nineties aspect of this because I don't listen to that much nineties music. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I mean, I think there, I, I have some good melancholy albums. I think, I think, um, Overgrown by James Blake. It's a very oh, good yeah, melancholy yeah. album. A lot of Miles Davis' stuff, which I, I guess is pre-90s, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, I, I, I find those are my, my go-tos when it's like raining outside. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, I, listen, I sometimes listen to like Art Tatum if I want a jazz background, but that's not really... He's kind of bright. He always seems like he's having just a good time in a piano bar. And also, mm-hmm. he's like the best piano player of all time. But um, oh, I guess another really uh, sad one is is Purple Mountain's uh, last album. Oh yeah, that's tough to listen to now. It, it's really, it's really, yeah. really, really tough to listen to because like the song lyrics are so depressing. And then mm-hmm. like shortly after this project was released, the the artist committed suicide. Yeah, I mean, so that's as dark as you can get. But I, I will say, I mean, it's a great album. Yes, um, it's it's absolutely. Amazing. It's very haunting as an album. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a very new release actually, released in 2019. Yeah, yeah, it just came out last year, and uh, I know a lot of my Twitter liked it. Um, so from El Seldo, he said, "Is this my chance to finally be a guest?" Um, just after the apocalypse, buddy. <laughs> We're totally scheduling you in for after that. We should actually at some point have Adam on. But yes. We've <laughs> we've said that for like three years. Yeah, I know. See, we, we keep meeting to do it. Problem. The fundamental problem we have is that we're both just kind of like lazy and it takes actual work and coordination to set up a guest. And the mm-hmm. other thing is when we set up a guest, we also feel like the needs like, oh, we have to actually like prepare and stuff like, or like not that we don't prepare, but um, to like but think like, of questions and be like, yeah. okay, how can we integrate them into the podcast and make it um, comfortable for them? Because it's, it's awkward at first, right? Because it's a three-way Skype call where no one can see each other. Mm-hmm. And at this point, like you and I have done enough of these that we, we kind of know how like each other's styles and whatnot with a new person it can be it can be tricky right so it's really just that uh us being lazy effectively is what it comes to (laughs) yeah i mean this is mostly our pretext to just sit and talk on sunday mornings which is 
kind of crazy that people listen to us to the extent that they do, but I hope we're providing some quality content. Uh, from our old site pal LeBron McLean on Twitter, is this the culmination of us collectively wishing too hard for this stupid Leaf season to just be over? Yes. The real you know monkey's what? paw thing. <laughs> I mean, the truth is, is that if the season never really concludes, the Leafs can't break our hearts in the first round until the next season. So isn't that sort of a silver lining there? No? Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is going to be... I hope we get to a point down the road where we can have a perspective on this and we can sort of laugh about the sports because it wasn't as bad as it might have been in general. But what a strange year this this would be, you know, just all the stuff that's yeah. happened and ending yeah. in a plague. Um, next one is from Wanda Marner. Uh, Joe Biden and the entropy that he is. Yeah, Joe Biden looks like he's going to win the Democratic nomination, which, uh, frankly, I'm not super happy about. <laughs> he was not my first choice or my second choice, but as a Canadian left-winger just watching over the border... At this point, you know, I, I would say the consolation with someone like Biden is hopefully he's not going to screw it up. You know, I'm hoping that he runs a sensible race and hires good people because he's in sort of declining form. Because yeah. if yeah, <laughs> I mean the thing the thing it comes down to is I'm not jacked about Biden, but it's like okay, like it, it's an anyone but Trump scenario. I, yeah. I, I, firmly reject the idea that like oh biden and trump are, are two sets of the same coin i think that really undersells the damage trump has done and the republican party in general has done especially on on the court side of things on the judicial mm -hmm. side of things where they've kind of packed the courts with very hardline republican judges including the most important court in america the supreme court mm -hmm. um where they've effectively kind of stolen two seats um, yeah which is you know and, you know that's a lifetime appointment right they, they did that on, on purpose that's a hugely hugely impactful set of decisions that's going to, you know, change the course of the next four or five decades, possibly more. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the obviously this is a very big deal now, but Trump firing the pandemic response team was a big deal, right? And it's not just that one team. Trump has eliminated or failed to um, uphold a lot of the different parts of the government that previously existed. And, you know, we have those parts of government typically for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. um, so things like that and just uh, Biden does not get me excited but he, he's an order of magnitude better than Trump so yeah it's as simple as that there's a difference between disappointing and disastrous Biden is disappointing Trump is disastrous so anyway to any of our American listeners I'm pretty sure if you've put up with us you're probably not super enamored of Donald Trump <laughs> yeah yeah like so yeah might be preaching to the choir here but yeah uh, this one is from one of the several Mike Steven that populate leave Twitter. Wait, so there's my... more than one, right? Yeah. Uh... I've, been, I've been so confused this whole time. <laughs> yeah, Mike <laughs> Stevens. Yeah, because it's two of like the, you know, tw Twitter prominent leaves bloggers are both have the same name. Yeah. Um, this Mike says, in light of world events, do you think we as a species have no ability to prioritize things that matter until it's too late? I am, of course, discussing Austin not being able to hit 50 goals this season. <laughs> yes, uh, that's the real deprivation that we're all undergoing here, is uh, a chance for a Leaf to finally win the Rocket Richard. I actually do believe this. I mean, climate change hangs over this whole thing. It's just, mm -hmm. until the consequences become very immediate, it's very hard to gin up enough will 
to make systemic changes. Right, and the the thing is, and we're seeing it now, even with like people still going out to like bars and clubs and whatnot, um, mm-hmm. in spite of you know people kind of imploring others to socially distance. There, there's a cost to do to doing things, right? There's a cost to fixing things or to making things better. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's it, in, the, in the you know coronavirus case, it's very frustrating because the cost is genuinely not that big. It's like, look, reduce your social life for a few months, right? Grand scheme of things, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to like climate change or whatnot, it's we have to start making very different decisions as species, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think I've talked about this before. I don't know if it's on here or on a different podcast, but like even when it comes to traveling as much, when it comes to you know the types of companies we support, when it comes to you know everything, and I'm a hypocrite about this because you know I say this and yet I have Amazon Prime, and Amazon for one treats its employees terribly, um, but also is responsible for a lot of waste and a lot of um, emissions because of their entire business model of you know lots of packaging for. Indi- that's individualized that goes directly to your door like that that creates waste mm-hmm. and i'm a hypocrite because I, I i'm recognizing oh that's probably not the best thing in the world for the environment but i do it because it's convenient right and as a species we kind of have to make choices of okay this is not going to be as convenient for me but i'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do yeah and it's hard to make those decisions especially on a large scale when it doesn't seem immediately obvious what the impact of that is going to be and when the individual impact is so small and we're all kind of hypocritical in different ways like this right mm-hmm. but yeah i think that's to to mike stevens number one point um as as a species we're, we're very very bad at prioritizing things when it's not immediately obvious what the benefit is going to be yeah i think there's a, a desire to be defiant almost and to sort of say you know you're not uh you're not going to make me change my life but you're seeing with the uh with the um, coronavirus epidemic, like there are a lot of people who just won't admit that it's real until they're directly impacted by it. And that's really unfortunate because that's when it's too late. So, yeah. I can't say that a lot about this has been super encouraging. I hope Canada and the US and everywhere really is taking decisive enough action in time to prevent this from being as bad as it's going to be. Otherwise. So... Yeah, that's a fun question. We're doing a great <laughs> job making people feel good. Uh, yeah, exactly. From Jesmond Jester, coming back to visit my wife's family at Christmas this year. Should I remortgage my house to watch the Leafs? It would be his first game since watching a 6-3 loss to the Thrashers in 2010. Or spend half the amount watching the OHL Ice Dogs and take El Seldo for beers afterwards. For your information, he doesn't know me. Uh, I don't know. It sounds like you and Seldo could buddy it up and have an adventure at the ice dogs yeah i the one thing i'll say going to a leafs game is okay maybe this is just me being a bit of like a someone who doesn't mind socially distancing i suppose (laughs) it's too loud at hockey games and but it's not loud in like a fun organic way it's not like crowd noise loud it's loud because they just blare really really loud music between every stoppage it's loud because there's always a DJ telling you to get loud. Yeah, I know, and it's right? so forced. And it, it's not like actual, you know, the crowd being hyped. The crowd being hyped is, is another thing entirely. Like I've, I've been to um, Maple Leaf Square, and that's an amazing experience mm-hmm. um, because it's organic, right? Or at least more organic than inside. So given the cost difference, 
I would I would do the uh, OHL game. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I mean, look, going to the Leafs is fun in its way, but I I have to admit, maybe this is just me getting old and also being someone who doesn't super mind social distancing. It's an awful lot for an experience that is not that much better to me than a game in a pub. You know, I just, you know, I, I find I get enough out of it just watching at that level. So, yeah, take solo to the Ice Dogs. Uh, this one is from James McLeod, a reporter on Twitter. If it turns out the season is canceled, should we spend the rest of our lives insisting this was the year for the Leafs or nah? You know, I mean, on the one hand, yeah, on the one hand, is it probably our year? Well, no, we're like the eighth best team in the NHL, if that. But uh, I think that everyone will be annoyed by us. And that's our main purpose as Leafs fans. You know, in times like these, you have to kind of go back to first principles and what makes you who you are. And what makes us Leafs fans is that everybody fucking hates us. And I think it's important that we lean into that and insist that no matter what, this was our year over and over and over again. Yep, I agree completely. <laughs> uh, this one's from Toronto Adam. If you could speak, if you could pick one sporting event from history to go back and be in the crowd for, what would it be? That's a tough one. The golden goal in Vancouver in 2010 would be awesome. Even just walking through Toronto after that was amazing. I bet that the arena would be crazy. Yeah, the gold, the golden goal would be pretty cool. I'm, I'm a big tennis fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so the 2008 men's Wimbledon final uh, between Nadal and Federer, commonly considered one of the best matches of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I, I'd like to see. I, although I am a Federer fan, and he did end up losing that match. Um, mm. But that would have been really cool to, to go to. Uh, Wimbledon is also one of those places that's like stupid expensive. Um, London's like an old money town, right? So yeah. it's like you need, you need to sell your kidneys in order to, to get that ticket especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a pretty good choice. I, I've actually heard about that match and just how renowned it was. Uh, yeah, so uh, this is from Kono Emo 16 the best dark comedy authors of all time. I'll just go ahead and cast my ballot for Kurt Vonnegut right now. Vonnegut is a very strong choice. Um, possibly my favorite book of all time is Catch-22 by Joseph Heller, which is uh, at times a very dark war comedy. Uh, I think that's a fantastic book. and But it has some wild swings in tone. <laughs> so just a warning to anyone who's uh, who's contemplating that. So yeah, that's what I would mention. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say I'm a an expert on this. Um, Vonnegut and Heller were the two authors that I know most about in this. I guess is Anthony Burgess dark comedy? Ooh, yeah, um, maybe. I mean, I don't. Th- so, I mean, Clockwork Orange is not very. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So it's so. um, I, so I'm not, I'm not an expert in, in in this field by any means. I'm not an expert in, in literature in general. I have a very kind of narrow band of um, I wouldn't even say expertise of like not complete idiot idiotise if that's a word. Um, <laughs> and dark comedy is not in that narrow band, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would definitely say you know Vonnegut is is really the best answer. Uh, I've thought about Cat's Cradle more than once. With, in the course of all this, uh, you know, and Ice Nine spreading like a plague and freezing all the water on Earth is an interesting plot in that one. Uh, this next one from Ash A. Davey 19. Can you talk about the Watergate scandal? Sure. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> I definitely get. Actually, I'll say this: uh, Woodward and Bernstein, who are very famous reporters, you know, they did all the President's Men, and then they wrote the Final Days. Uh, one was a book about their investigation into Nixon and Watergate, and then the Final Days was the last six months of the Nixon White House. And I actually think the the Final Days is a really really fantastic book, one of my favorite that I've read because you get a lot of angles on what it's like inside that gradually collapsing administration. You know, they have these starts where they think that they've gotten ahead of it and they've gotten behind it. And you also have the moral component because there are some people working for Nixon who are gradually more and more uh, horrified by what he's done or what is allowed to be done in his name. So, yeah, I would uh, recommend that if anyone wants to read more about it. Um, Yeah, sounds good. Again, uh, not within my narrow band. (laughs) <laughs> that's all right this quarantine is going to expand our interests we're going to broaden and grow as people uh this is from <laughs> boiler seventy one seventy seven. if the season starts back up in a few weeks which players do you think would return with the worst conditioning Ooh, all of them it's going to be a yeah. mess to be honest because they're not even yeah. practicing in groups right now i would say yeah. um foreign players, like European players, probably have it worse, right? Because if you're, I don't know, if you're a Canadian player, uh, you know, even if you're, I don't know, a BC person from the Leafs, like you could, in theory, go back to BC and like go to your off-season setup effectively. I know right now I think they're being told to stay in their home cities, but I think for the foreign mm-hmm. players it's probably a bit tougher. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, a real problem. So, yeah, something to think about there. Um, just in general, who knows? It's going to be a weird mess if the NHL comes back this year, that's for sure. And, you know, we don't know anything about formatting, about how they'll dispose of the remaining games in the season, and that's going to depend on a lot of timelines. I do think that the idea that they might open up it again in one month seems really optimistic to me. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. So, yeah. Yeah, nor do I. Uh, yeah, so I, I won't specify, but I'll say it's going to be a tough thing for everybody if it comes to that. Uh, this one is from Saint Uzi Roro, and it just says Age of Empires Two. Do you ever play Age of Empires? I did when I was younger. Yeah. Did yeah, I, I did. I, I remember having like a sports car with a missile launcher and just driving that around and like bombarding castles and stuff like that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, of course. I use cheats, of course. Like. Oh well. What am I a savage? <laughs> yeah, no, you got to do all sorts of things, and it is a lot of fun. Was it the first one or the second one where the code is like Big Daddy, and then it gives you? I like, forget this what the code was. Code. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah, I also remember like in the non-cheating division that like war elephants were like super OP. Yeah, they were like unstoppable battering rams. That was a, a fun game. I also remember like that they had all these sound effects for like different activities and like you would have a priest who was, like, blessing things, and he would go, like, whoa! And that sound is burned into my head forever. Just, for some reason, that's one sound effect. I remember it so vividly. It's just burned into my brain that the priest go, whoa! So, yeah. Anyway, dredge that one up again if you have it. If you can play it. It's a classic. Yeah, it's a good game. Uh, yeah. Uh, this one is from Cole. Favorite book or audiobook? I need an audiobook to listen to, and I suck at looking. 
and so I asked a follow-up. It says, you know, do you have a particular preference? Uh, loves to learn nonfiction, and for fiction, probably sci-fi. So, yeah, I, I listened to a decent amount of history, and this one is really dense, but The Coming of the Third Reich by Richard J. Evans, I think is a really good, complete study of what happened in Germany to, to lead to the rise of Adolf Hitler. And, you know, it's something I kind of think about a lot is, you know, how does a democratic country collapse like that? And it ties together several threads that way really, really well. Uh, for fiction, for sci-fi, I'll stick with Kurt Vonnegut. Cat's Cradle. Part of it feels eerily relevant to me. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I did not see the follow-up tweets about the um, genre. So, my, mine are not adhering to the genre that he specified. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I guess they, they sort of... They, you can, I can argue for it. Um, the Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde is a very, very good book. It's, mm. um, it's fiction, but obviously has like some kind of real historical elements um, about you know immigrants in the U.S. and the Dominican Republic, Republic experience uh, during you know a time of a lot of civil turmoil. And then uh, the other one that is I think pretty good now is a Love in the Time of Cholera. Mm. <laughs> that one's more of a yeah, joke. Yeah, I can but. vouch for. Her. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, it's like a famous book. That's true. It's a little bit on the nose right now. Yeah, I can vouch for uh, The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. I read that a while back. It definitely helps, you know, and he addresses this, is that, you know, Dominican history is probably not something that a lot of people in North America are familiar with. And it elucidates some of that while also being a good personal story. Yeah, Juno Diaz in general is a great author. Yeah, talented guy. Um, so next up from Puck Patty, has the cap ever gone down significantly, like five or more percent? And if it did, what would happen to teams who can't fill rosters due to non-compliant? Not even sure if that's possible, but a big drop would affect every free agent. This is a really interesting open question. So during the, uh, the lockout, uh, the cap didn't go down in 2013. And so... I don't think that it's going to be reduced if the NHL can all avoid it, because as you point out, that's going to leave some players in trouble, unless the players also agree to a reduction in salary across the board. It's going to be tricky. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a relatively flat salary cap, if the league can come back next year and just sort of take a mulligan on the whole process. If they do reduce it, then yeah, I think there has to be some sort of accompanying move to reduce salaries. Maybe because the players say, look, we know that we're going to get killed on escrow because revenues are about to drop precipitously. And so maybe they just say it's worth readjusting the actual value on the contract to reflect what money we're actually going to keep. So Yeah, the NHL in general, like the economy of the NHL is almost based on a perpetually rising cap. Mm -hmm. Right? So, And this is obviously so outside the realm of what any front office would have expected so mm-hmm. yeah it's hard to say what's going to happen yeah it's really wide open and i will say uh the league and the union can negotiate anything they want and so it's not like the cba has explicit terms governing this and something this nearly unprecedented yeah the cba does not have a is, 
does not have a pandemic clause. No, there are some very limited things on suspension or cancellation of operations. But yeah, a lot of this is going to have to be laid out, so we don't know exactly what would happen. But yeah, I would just say if the cap goes down, there probably has to be some sort of corresponding move to retain uh, control over player salaries. It's going to be a hell of a time to be a free agent, though. <laughs> yeah, no um, kidding. This one is from Alex Simond. Uh, what rules norms from other sports leagues would you like to see the NHL adopt? You're probably better at this than I am. So what, just like what rules in general? Yeah, or concepts, yeah. Rules or norms. I mean, a coherent point system, I suppose, would be one. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's like the obvious one. Yeah, three, mm-hmm. th- three two, one, zero is fine. Even, like, I know American sports don't like draws, but a three one zero system would be fine for me, too. Even, mm-hmm. like, straight win-loss, where you just don't differentiate between overtime losses, shootout losses, and regulation losses. Wouldn't have a problem with that. That's an obvious one. Um, I guess depending on your point of view, you could say, like, oh, the lack of a spending cap would be something that we mm-hmm. could borrow from other sports, but we've seen that before, and, you know, as much as we like to kind of crap on the idea of, like, as Leafs fans, you know, it would advantage us to be able to spend more than most of the league, but the NHL probably wouldn't exist in the same form without a salary cap. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a bit of a necessity, and I do also kind of like the idea and it's not completely true because, you know, market factors still matter. But I do like the idea that, like, look, you cannot just privilege your way into, you know, uh, being a competitive team just because your owners are rich. Right? Like, I think that happens in soccer. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it can kind of work in soccer because of promotion, relegation, uh, and qualification for, like, European competitions and things like that where there's multiple races to go for. So if the title race is gone, it's not as big a deal as it would be in the NHL or in North American sports. But I I don't mind kind of spending equalization in general. Fair enough. Uh, Trying to think of any other. Yeah. I mean, I'll say this. The culture around basketball seems to have more fun. And so in adopting norms, I would probably enjoy that. Just the idea that, you know, players can show personality and... Maybe enjoy themselves a little bit. I know that some people. Yeah, there, there don't definitely like are some, operates, but there are definitely yeah. some sticks in the mud when it comes to the NBA as well. And it, it took it took a long time before kind of the analytics movement in the NBA was recognized as being valuable by some of the commentators, right? And I, I actually I retweeted someone tweeting about this a while ago, but one of the common things people say about hockey, and especially with the Leafs, because we don't really have a local broadcaster. Basically, all our games are using a national broadcast, um, mm-hmm. at least on, on TV. A huge amount of the NHL's release, you know, television product, are people, like, seeming to relish in the failures of the team. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and people seeming to say, like, every time the Leafs have a bad period, it's like, oh, this is, like, a vindication that their style does not work, period. Like, it is not a bad period paid by a team. It is evidence of a larger flaw within their psyche or something like that yeah or there are ev- definitely people who seem to enjoy it being a car crash exactly or it's like a failure of the product that the Leafs are putting on as a whole or and you can extract this to the NHL right there's so many times where someone does something cool and then you know this was especially true when Don Cherry still had a huge platform 
you know, immediately it would just get shit on for no particular reason. Mm -hmm. And in the NBA, kind of a similar thing happens with national broadcasters where they'll parrot these tropes about the NBA that are not actually very true. Mm -hmm. So I would say like the culture on the NBA is certainly more accepting of individualism, but Mm -hmm. there's a similarity in terms of any resistance to tactical or major changes on the whole. Yeah, that's, it's you know, change is hard to impose, as we're seeing in multiple different arenas. Yep. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so I hope that's elucidating. Uh, this one is from Curtis Vermarine, or Vermeeren, sorry. Uh, what kind of value do you think the timeliness or consistency of goals across games provides? To an extreme, player A scores 30 with 30 single goal games versus player B scoring 30 with 10 hat-tricks. Um... For one, I want to say I don't... Yeah, it is. Um, I'm not sure that this is a really notable talent. Like, guys who score a lot of goals are more consistent in scoring goals and vice versa. I don't know that there's, like, a really demonstrable trend for some players to only score in bunches. Um, At least not that I've seen. Inherently, you're looking at, like, small samples, in which case, like, runs are are, are common in general, right? Um, Kasia pointed out this study to me, and I think it's a very valid one, where people were asked to, like, simulate 10 coin tosses, right? And by that, mm-hmm. I mean, like, by sense, when I say simulate, like, you say, okay, these 10 coin tosses go heads, tails, heads, 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 tails, like that, right? And then they compared it to actual simulations of coin tosses, of 10 to- coin tosses. And what they found is that people were way too um, hesitant to have large runs. Like, people would go... Heads, tails, heads, heads, tails, tails, heads, heads, tails. Like, they wouldn't have a run of more than three, right? Mm-hmm. But in reality, a run of more than three, that's, you know, that's not that unlikely. It's probably going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I think it's a similar thing with, with like, you know, players being streaky or players scoring in bunches. Um, people underrate how likely it is for a run to occur, even if... Mm-hmm the underlying process is entirely independent of um, at each kind of successive step. So to answer, to answer the question, I've thought about this a lot um, because there's a couple ways you can look at it. You can say, okay, well, it, 30 goals is 30 goals, right? And if you assume that players don't have control over how they're spread out, then it, they're functioning the same. But that, that's not actually true necessarily. Um, you know, the ninth goal in a 9-2 win is not as valuable as the second goal in a 2-1 win. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that's not necessarily the player's fault, but the reality is that it, it, one changes your win probability a lot, and one changes your win probability by essentially nothing. Right? Um, so, like you, I tend to believe that players don't really have a huge amount of control over this, but if there was a player who had a consist- who like, consistently just got one goal every two games or whatever, versus a player who kind of had these really explosive games and then not much else, I think I would go for the former. And the reason mm-hmm. is that, we talked about this last week with the whole you know record when scoring first. Well, scoring first in general, scoring at all, is a good sign because it means you're not getting shut out. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you can guarantee you know, a player's going to score once every two games, you are saying, okay, in those two games, like I'm essentially starting off one nothing. Right. right? I know I'm going to get a goal here my chances of winning are, are much bigger now. So that's kind of the logic I would go for. Whereas 
I'd say in most games with a hat trick, not all, but in, in many games where there's a hat trick, just by definition, the third goal probably doesn't shift the win probability by a lot. Yeah, because a lot of them are blowouts. Exactly. By definition, right. So, yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense, actually. It's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, this one is from Darth Malmadvitin. Excuse me. I'm doing a number on some of these pronunciations today. Eh? Uh, Darth wants to know if we can analyze the life and work of the first governor of the Bank of Canada, Graham Towers. Uh, I don't know that anyone knows very much about Graham Towers. I don't know if this reader does, but I think it would be fun because I don't know anything about Graham Towers to just Nor make up a career I. for him. Yeah, no, he was a gargoyle with stone wings, and he invented money for Canada by magic. It was very special, and we're very grateful for his wizardly work. That's Graham Towers. <laughs> in, gen in general, I think people kind of fail to understand how big a role kind of uh, central banks have in, in our economy, mm -hmm. and the kind, kind of how important yeah. they are. Um, this was underscored when people seemingly misunderstood one of the moves that the Fed made over the course of this past week um, to essentially provide liquidity to large financial institutions, which will, in general, help the economy, you know, not grind to a halt, which is quite important in this time. And people mm -hmm. mistook it as a $1.5 trillion bailout, which is not the case. It's, a, it, it's collateralized loans uh, in what's mm -hmm. called repo markets or repurchase markets. Not going to get into the economics of it here because I'm certainly no expert on it. But um, yeah, central banks are, are very important. Generally speaking, at least the ones in, in North America have done a pretty decent job in the past decade or so. Um, you, can, you can quibble with some of the stuff that the Fed has done uh, in the U.S. Like maybe they should have raised rates more quickly, but everyone was still kind of spooked by, by the recession and all that sort of stuff. Um, Canada has had, I think, a pretty good um, central bank and central banking system for, for much of its history. Yeah. It's much kind of crazy history. to contemplate. But, yeah, for about 70 years, the United States did not have a central bank. There mm -hmm. was a panic in 1907 where literally the whole economic system hinged on J.P. Morgan, who was a private citizen, bailing out half of the banks or providing liquidity in, in terms of allowing uh, the system to keep moving so it doesn't freeze up and then everyone is calling in debts that can't be paid. Um, you know, you do need a strong central bank to manage a modern economy, and every country has kind of recognized that by this point in time. Yeah, and I, I so. mean, I was when I was reading the biography of Alexander Hamilton by, by Ron Chernow, um, which mm -hmm. obviously was the, was, the, was the biography that spawned the musical. Um, one of the things Hamilton did was essentially create the first kind of central bank, effectively, uh, it, in, in the U.S. Um, and it was like intensely unpopular at, at, at times. Um, oh, yeah. And I believe, I hope I have my facts straight here, but... I believe that after, like, it was originally instituted on, like, a 20-year term thing. I guess almost mm -hmm. a trial period. And after that first 20 years, it, it kind of died for a bit and then came back, right? But the reality is it was a hugely, um, you know, hugely impactful decision and, and very kind of forward-looking, right? It's a very impressive yeah. kind of decision to make when you're creating a country basically from scratch. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And yeah, the charter for the National Bank was allowed to expire under Andrew Jackson, who viewed that it overprivileged 
um, certain Northeastern uh, money interests. Anyway, yes. So that, that's that been the best we can do. Other yeah. economic info. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the, I guess, fundamental um, conflicts of, of, about creating that, right? Like people felt it, it was unjust. Mm -hmm. And I think when mm -hmm. Hamilton created it as well, it also, it was alongside the, a plan to have the governments or the federal government assume state debts um, mm -hmm. in order to like essentially make American credit competitive globally. Right. Um, so our next one is from Rob Oatway. Realistically, how do you see the Leafs address their needs in the off season? One big name, a bunch of role players slash depth guys. Please don't provide a dream scenario where they somehow manage to wedge a ton of highly paid top guys into the cap. Well, rest assured we won't because that's impossible. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were all talking about that estimate for the salary cap to rise to 84 to 88 million. That ain't happening. I'll tell you that right now. I don't think the Leafs are going to have, if there's no increase in the salary cap, which seems very possible, I don't think the Leafs are going to have room to make significant acquisitions without sending money out. And even then, like, Petrangelo is off the table again uh, if there's not an increase. I mean, that said, I don't know what crazy outcomes there might be from all of this. But right now it looks to me like the Leafs are going to have to make sort of peripheral moves. They're going to be pretty squeezed, and they're going to have to hope that a lot of their improvement is internal. I don't even know how the timing of everything's going to adjust this, right? Like, is the draft going to oh, be yeah. still in June? I don't know. Like, if, if the playoffs are still going on while the draft is going on, like, I don't know, that changes. The, it, it, everything's so in flux that I think it's almost impossible to say at this point. Yeah, it's really wide open. I, I will say, and this is like the billionth most important thing at this time, but like this is going to probably harm the Leafs in their efforts to improve. I'm not saying it makes it impossible, but I think it's going to be harder. Yeah, um, most likely. This, this, this one is from Beast Shithead, <laughs> which is a great Twitter handle. Uh, who would have won the Rocket Richard? I mean, so it's down to Ovechkin, David Pasternak and then Austin Matthews. I mean, if I I think Austin has a great chance or had a great chance, but the smart money is usually on Ovechkin doing this because he's done it how many times now? And Ovechkin's in the lead, correct? Like, they have 48. Yeah, it's... Uh, Matthews is 47. Yeah, so, yeah, it's tight, but I think you have to bet on Ovechkin. You know, he just... Yeah. He's the best goal scorer ever. Uh, yeah. Now, that said, it would have been a lot of fun if Matthews had got it. We don't have enough individual trophies as a franchise. Um, yeah, this is from Scott Jackman. Will the cap go down or stay where it is? Well, you know, as I've been saying, we can't know. I don't think anyone knows. Um, but I would say, I mean, James Myrtle had a piece that talked about this, among other things, and he suggested it staying where it is seems to make a lot of sense to him. But this is such a fluid and evolving situation. We don't really know. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think we can say anything about that. Yeah, okay. Uh, this is from the Rankin 88. Realistic expectations for guys like Robertson, Korshkov, Abramov, Kokkinen, and maybe toss in Scott Wall, Abruz Essay, etc. Woo! Um... I will say Nick Robertson looks to me like a guy who could be a top six scoring winger. And I Nick, don't think that that's crazy. Robertson is one where at this point I'd be surprised if he's not an NHLer just because his 
stats mm-hmm. are so good. And I've heard some like kind of caveats about his stats. Like apparently he's in a weaker part of the OHL, so he's he's beating up on some bad teams to some extent. Nonetheless, he he is projecting very well. Everyone else, and you know, I've been kind of an Abramov fan, but everyone else is essentially projecting from eh to this is promising, but still a long shot, right? So, like, I think Robertson's the only one of those who has a confidence interval that is, you know, even remotely narrow. Yeah, I would say Korshkov, and, you know, he's coming up on 24 years old, so there's probably not a ton of runway left in front of him in terms of, like, he's still going to keep getting better. He could, but he should be close to what he is now. I think he'll probably be a depth NHL more likely than not. I'm not guaranteeing it, but, like, it wouldn't surprise me. The rest of them are so far out that it's really hard to say. Yeah. So, yeah, the realistic outcome is always dead on it, not really working out for most prospects, except Robertson is probably, I agree with you, more likely than not. Um, and now, finally, we have three from Shatner Shaman. Uh, is Biden going to win the general election? Oh, man, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially with with the virus, but how that's going to impact things is is really unclear. Yeah, uh, you know, Trump's strength from an electoral perspective has been that the economy is perceived to be doing well and has been first term. Yeah, and generally, like, is actually doing well. Yeah, Um, yeah. Obviously, there's still massive issues with with wealth inequality and whatnot, but those have essentially always existed. Um, Yeah, Uh, although they're getting worse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, the, um, like the, he he could he could have reasonably run on the idea of hey the economy is good and it would certainly not be one of the mo- the most untruthful things he said or even in the top one hundred. Yeah, I, I mean the assumption with some economic political science models is that basically the economy determines the next election, and that and the the trend yeah. of the economy more than the economy mm-hmm. itself. Yeah, that that's very true, and so there are some people who argue that. That's almost the only thing that matters. This is such a crazy and unforeseen situation. This could go any number of ways. I'll say that Biden is in with a chance, and I don't really know what's going to happen from here on out. It's It could get pretty crazy. Um, who is the most screwed if the season and playoff... Uh, sorry, if the season and the playoff slash cup are fully canceled? I'd say Boston. Uh, yeah, because Boston has, you know... Uh, they're probably the best. Chance. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're going to have home ice throughout the playoffs. They're a very good team. I mean, Patrice Bergeron seems ageless, but they are losing another year of his prime or of, of him still being very good. Brad Marchand mm-hmm. is in his early 30s, I believe. So if he takes a step back, it's a little bit tricky. They do have a lot of good young players too, like Pasternak and McAvoy and DeBrusque, but you know they are still highly reliant on, on Marchand and, and Bergeron. Yeah. I'd agree. So, yeah, I mean, it's the most obvious answer is that the teams with the best chances to win the cup are probably the most screwed in the sense of they've lost the most if the season is canceled in terms of competitive edge. Uh, Tampa Bay, same sort of thing. You know, they've adapted really well and a lot of their players are still pretty young. But they're going to lose on a season where they had a very, very strong team if this is canceled. And... You know, they're going to have some tough decisions to make in the offseason. So, yeah, I, I would say that it, it's some of them. We're not really, like... I mean, we've lost a year of Tavares' prime if this is canceled and, you know, Matthews, Marner, Nylander, etc. But we're kind of middling. I don't think the answer is us. Mm-hmm. 
And finally, if teams get compliance buyouts because of reduced cap, who should the Leafs buy out, if anyone? Um, we should weaponize our buyout. Yeah, probably. It depends how they structure it and you know what conditions are on it in terms of can you acquire a player and immediately buy him out for the compliance buyout, or is that too much like trading money? So kind of a TBD there. Yeah, we don't I mean, have... I, yeah, sorry, go ahead. If they just make a rule that the player has to be on your reserve list, that mm. would immediately eliminate that as a possibility. Yeah. In and which case, we don't really have any bad long-term contracts. No, there's nothing that I would say I'm really desperate to dispose of. You know, uh, we talked about the Jake Muzzin deal, but I think that that's good, even if there is some downside risk there. And I wouldn't really mess with anything else. Even do, you know though, the real, you know, do you know what the real sorry? Galaxy Brain move is? <laughs> Are you buy, out Mitch, buy out Mitch Marner, sign him to a, a cheaper deal, so he gets this, uh, the same amount of money, but it's a lower cap hit. Yeah, this yeah, there's definitely going to have to be a condition also that you can't sign someone you just compliance bought out. So, <laughs> yeah, otherwise that would be hilarious and like blatant capture convention. But yeah, uh, you know, I don't think that we have any bad contracts or any that at least I would want to totally dispose of other than that. So, yeah, uh, that's the end of our questions. So thanks for everyone who's listening. Uh, I hope you're taking care of yourselves out there. This is a crazy time for us and for the world and for public health. So, yeah, I don't know what we're going to do, but maybe we'll keep doing podcasts about random stuff. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah. I mean, we need some social exposure ourselves as well. So this That's is probably true. good for our health. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll do our best to, to kind of endure as we all must this crazy turn of events yeah yeah for sure um so you can find all of mine fuleman's work at pendantmanpuppets.com you can also follow us on twitter at rv and at fuleman again you know stay safe listen to the experts and let's uh do what we can to get through this thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week